Welcome to the Catch 22 Minutes podcast, where we delve into some of today's major social challenges. We speak to frontline experts, industry leaders and young people in pursuit of ideas for reforming public services. In this first series, hosted by Catch-22's Director of Communications, Melissa Milner, we'll focus on youth employment. Melissa will be asking how society can better prepare young people for today's job market. Workplace diversity and inclusion is an increasing area of focus for businesses large and small. In fact, a global diversity and inclusion survey of business and human resource leaders by PwC saw 87% state diversity as a priority area for their organisation. The benefits of a diverse workforce are huge, from bringing in a broader range of perspectives to understanding your clients or customers better. With diversity comes innovation, new ways of thinking and overall better business performance. But if it's so beneficial, why do so many organisations struggle with inclusive recruitment? Why is it that the employment rate for disabled people is 29 percentage points below that of the non-disabled rate? And why is the percentage of unemployed people from black and minority ethnic groups twice that of the white British population? On today's episode of Catch 22 Minutes, we've got two guests who will help unpack some of these questions and more. Welcome to Antonia Tony Fadipe, who is Inclusive Hiring Lead at The Body Shop UK and Global, and also Vanessa Johnson Burgess, Chief Executive of Inclusive Recruitment. But first, let's hear from Hayley Campbell, who received support from Catch 22 via the Inspiring Families programme. And Hayley is now a Catch 22 employment coach for the Job Entry Targeted Support programme. I went to my local council um, and I just asked them, is there anywhere that I can kind of get help with, with kind of getting into work? I was put onto the Family Works programme and I had an advisor and she was the one to assist me onto my journey and basically guide me throughout my employment journey. And not necessarily about getting the skills, going back to school or doing any sort of qualification because I had I had them. It was more about kind of giving me, showing me that mirror, I guess, to say I have these qualifications and I have these skills and there's nothing for me to worry about. And it's just for me to kind of see myself in a different light and actually talk about my transferable skills. Me being a parent, for one, this gives you a multitude of skills that you can never, ever learn in any sort of employment. Um, that's one for sure. And actually just my previous professional experience and the fact that it was two years ago doesn't mean I've suddenly forgotten everything. It just means I haven't put it into practice in a little while. Vanessa, let me start with uh, you. Firstly, welcome. And could you sort of tell us what the benefits are of inclusive recruitment to businesses? Thank you for having me. I mean, there are significant benefits to businesses. And I think what we should focus on is what we might miss if we don't consider the benefits. But if we're to talk about benefits, of course, we can outline some of the initial points that you've made earlier. We understand that bringing more diversity into an organisation means that there's more innovation. That innovation translates to customers who feel like they're better served. It translates to products that are for wider audiences and all of that leads to business income, right? So it increases the turnover of an organisation. But we've got to stop focusing and landing on the business benefits only that are financially led. There are moral and ethical reasons, which you also point to, in why we need to be more inclusive when we're in our recruiting practices. So what are some of those reasons? You will have access to a wider talent pool. We're in a time at the moment where you've got five different age demographics in the workplace. 
Diversity and inclusion in recruitment, when we are looking at Gen Zs who've just come into the organization, millennials who make up 75% of the workforce in 2025, Gen I, when they come in, they are a more diverse representation of society. And so being inclusive in your recruitment practices is not even optional anymore. If you want to continue to drive your organization, have access to the best talent, you have to be thinking through an intersectional lens. You have to be thinking more diversely. So access to talent is a clear benefit to the business. But in addition to that, there's moral and ethical reasons around ensuring that individuals coming into your organization feel included, feel like they belong, feel respected. And so once we have those things in place, because we've applied a correct recruitment process that is inclusive, and we have an organization that focuses on equity, it means that you have employees who will remain engaged and stay. You will have talent come into you rather than feeling like you're always clawing for different individuals outside. So I could go on and on about the benefits and the reasons, but for me, it lands with the moral and ethical reason. And if you don't do it, you're going to run out of time anyway, because the society is changing and we're a more diverse population. Thank you, Vanessa. And we're going to come on to some of those um, ways in which businesses can recruit inclusively in a minute, because I know this is totally what your organisation does. But Tony, if I can just turn to you, um, I know the, the Body Shop has an inclusive recruitment programme and process. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and your approach to it? Yeah, sure. Thank you. And thanks for having me on. So at The Body Shop, it all started when we adopted an open hiring model, which was pioneered by Grayson's Bakery, a bakery in New York. And that model ultimately means that the first person to apply is the first person to get offered the opportunity. So a very radical approach. And it's something that Grayson did to tackle the housing crisis that was happening in their um, local community, but also to help their community representatives to gain employment and it's something that we're doing at the body shop to break down barriers to employment whilst also um, ultimately fighting for a fair and a more beautiful world you know we believe that education and access to employment are the greatest equalizers and that is something that we're providing by breaking down those barriers um and we're ultimately replacing the scrutiny that you'd normally find through the hiring process. We're replacing it with trust and we're trusting that the applicants that are applying will apply because, you know, they want to do their job and they know that they can do the job and also trust in the case that we as a company are providing that safe environment for these new people to come into. So as it stands, we're introducing open hiring to our um, entry-level positions, so seasonal um, um, positions within retail and within our distribution centres. And, you know, we will continue to review the model, bring in different improvements and ultimately look to expand it throughout the business in different ways. That's a fascinating approach. As you say, sounds a radical approach. What benefits have you seen to the body shop of, of this? And how, I mean, how long has it been going firstly? And have you been seeing the sort of benefits come through? We are just um, doing a soft launch into the UK with open hiring this year. But um, 2019, we adopted open hiring in our North American DC um, distribution centre. And we saw an increase of retention. So, yeah, we had staff staying, the turnover reduced. People were just talking about 
you know, how the body shop was a lovely place to work. We found that by adopting that open hiring model, about 35% of those that we actually took in admitted to like having a previous criminal record and finding it really, really hard to get employment in the first place. So the body shop had, you know, broke down those barriers. They weren't, you know, doing background checks or anything like that. It was literally if you're able to work and you want to work, come in and we've got jobs for you. Vanessa, if I can turn to you, obviously open hiring, as um, Tony has described, is one method of sort of inclusive recruitment. What other things could organisations be doing? And I particularly wanted to ask, Obviously, the Body Shop is a global organisation. Is open hiring possible for a smaller business? What other methods could organisations big and small be looking at? The Body Shop taking the approach to do that is is really brave of them. And they're seeing some of the rewards of that, right? Does that work for all organisations? Perhaps not for all organisations. It just depends. It depends on the individuals you have in your business, the ability that you've got to um, implement an open hiring model um, and, and the support that you need to do that from internally and whether you've got those that internal um, infrastructure to be able to deliver that. Rather than looking to tools or activities, it really is about the behaviour change in the individuals who are responsible for the conversion of those candidates, right? When we listen to what the body shop has done, the open hiring model, what it does is it takes away the choice of conversion from the hiring manager. And what we find is it doesn't matter how hard your talent acquisition or recruitment teams work um, to get you a diverse shortlist. It's in the hands of the hiring manager on whether or not they convert that candidate into uh, an employee. And a lot of the decisions that are made within that hiring process are based on their bias, the lived experiences that they have, the lack of knowledge that they have of the individual sat in front of them, the assumptions that they have based on that individual, based on narrative that they've seen in the media or what they've heard when they were growing up. And all of these things affect our decision-making, right? It is bias. It's not unconscious. It's bias. We all have bias. So how do we manage that? So rather than talk to tools or methods, I talk to behavior change. And I think it's important to really work on those who are making the decisions that convert candidates from the application process into an offer. And the types of suggestions that I would make is that hiring managers are you know, are going through processes where they're learning about bias, they're learning about privilege, they understand intersectionality, they have what I describe as a backpack of knowledge, or they put on an inclusion lens when they're going through the interview process, so that individuals are treated equitably in the process. The other um, suggestion that I would make is that in addition to the hiring manager's decision making and the conversion by those hiring managers and recruitment team members, have a look at what where the entry points are to bias in the processes that you have. So when was the last time that you actually looked at the processes that you're using? So sometimes the process that you're using is okay, but there's entry points within that process where you're not looking at that entry bias point and managing it. So really go back through the process that you have with an inclusion lens on, understand where the entry points are, understand where bias shows up so that you can manage the bias, manage your privilege within those parts of, of the process. So that, that would be my suggestion. I think that's really interesting, Vanessa. And you, you use the word bias a lot. And actually, I think you were talking about, you know, it's it's personal attitudes. It might be a, a culture within a, an organisation that's actually affecting this rather than necessarily bad process, which I think is really interesting. Tony, 
Just thinking about the body shop example, which you've described really well, what challenges did you face when introducing this? Because I would imagine, you know, other organisations listening to this might think, oh, there are there are issues with potentially doing that here, or there are there are particular challenges we have with re- recruiting. Did you face any challenges at the body shop? Yeah, um, just before I answer that question, the points that were just raised, I think they're super, super valid. And one of the things that we've actually noticed so far, we had one of the store managers, they did the open hiring for their store and the candidates that they invited in for, um, because what we do, they they don't have an interview, it's just three questions. Um, We ask the hiring managers to ask them, do you have the right to work in the UK? Can you work for up to eight hours in a shift? And can you carry loads of 11 kilograms? grams so so long as they can say yes to that then you know the job is theirs and one of the managers mentioned that the candidates that you know they've now recruited based on their cv they wouldn't have taken them on because they don't have retail experience because you know or, or they don't have work experience and they would have thought they're not suitable but you know for having them and bringing them in for a seasonal position for example is that entry level like we're we're giving them the training to do the job and then they ultimately have the chance to do it um so the challenge is i think the main one is the the hiring process that's been in place has been in place for years. A lot of our store managers have been sifting through CVs for a while, maybe doing um, competency-based interviews as well. Like it's been a process that they're so used to. That scrutiny, they're very, very used to that. Stepping away from that means that they're no longer effectively in control of the team that you know they're supposed to be putting together to deliver results, to make sales and everything. So that was a big culture change. We did some training of helping them understand the whole inclusive hiring process, understanding the benefits to those that are going to be coming in, the benefits to the business as a whole. We've definitely had to educate them and really help them understand, you know, the the people that could benefit from a model like this, helping them understand the barriers that they experience in general and how lowering the requirements ultimately helps those people and, you know, helps those communities that we effectively there to serve. Great. And I I want to turn this now on to specifically thinking about youth unemployment. That's what this podcast series is predominantly looking at. And I think, Tony, from what you've said, you know, not having to go through an interview, your hiring manager saying, actually, we probably wouldn't have employed this person had we looked at their CV. I think this could be applied to many young people who find themselves struggling to get work experience, perhaps don't have the educational qualifications that, that others have. So I want to ask you both, how important do you think inclusive recruitment is to tackling youth unemployment and also this issue of youth underemployment, you know, where young people are in jobs that don't necessarily match their skill set of fewer hours than they want, that kind of thing. Let me start with Vanessa first and then we'll come to you, Tony. I smile when I um, listen to questions like this because I keep going back to the age demographics and I do because it is so significant, right? When you look, I would urge anyone who is focused on inclusive recruiting practices to really read up on the difference of behaviours between age demographics. It's all part of the inclusion lens. Young people entering into the workplace now, so as I said earlier, Gen Z are just coming into the workplace now are probably coming in into hiring managers who are either traditionally, no, probably baby boomers or um, or, or my gen, right, um, Gen X. And there is a totally different behaviour. There's a totally different approach in the way you do things. If I think about my learned experience when I was coming into the workplace 
It was around keeping your head down, working for really long periods of time in long organizations, staying in one position, doing things in a certain way. And if um, Gen X, you know, are continuing to be the line managers that we have at the moment and they are hiring individuals into their organization, actually there is a lack of inclusion or a lack of understanding of the young people who are coming into the workplace now. They do work in a different way. They do um, approach progression. They approach um, diversity. They see diversity completely differently. So there is something about really understanding the, the, the generation that are coming in today because they work in a different way and at the hands of those who are making the decisions. And when we look in organisations, we can see that leaders are of the older generations. So I think this is why young people are finding it difficult because they're going into organisations where there's a lack of understanding of how you should perform, behave, speak, show up in an organisation because we have this narrative of what, what is professional, a narrative of what's normative, and actually that's changed. So maybe what we need to start doing is looking at what we are deeming as normative and understanding that um, young people coming into the workplace now, that their norm is the norm for them. And it's our responsibility as senior managers, as leaders within those organisations to understand that norm. Because as I said, within the next three to, to four years, that, op that option will be taken away anyway, because the individuals coming into the organisations will be the leaders. So yeah, I, I do think there is a, an issue with youth unemployment and again it's at the hands of those who are the decision makers and those decision makers need to have a behavior change to understand the young people that are coming into the workplace who bring such such innovation such drive which can ultimately completely turn around your business i also think you know one thing that we have done we understand and we've seen you know the data doesn't lie that youth unemployment is an issue in the UK and we partnered with charities that support young people that have barriers to employment so and and that's how we were partnered with Catch22 through Movement to Work we've got these amazing charities that are already supporting these young people doing a lot of employability work helping to get them job ready but ultimately they need employers to partner with them to provide the opportunities to the young people that they've been upskilling so that's something that we've done and we found that having that partnership, you know, all the different parties that are involved, you know, will provide the employment, will provide the financial, you know, rewards and the um, charities will be able to support them. Maybe, you know, housing could be a barrier that they have and they can support with their housing or helping them to set up their benefits to sort out the bank account. So all of that work can be done. And, you know, again, doing that partnership work means there's less disappointment. You know, we're not offering an opportunity to, some, to someone that isn't actually ready for it because the, the charities are doing that amazing work beforehand um, but I think collaboration is definitely important um, if companies want to effectively tackle youth unemployment we're all going to have to work together. Do you think there's an end point to being a truly inclusive organisation and if not or maybe maybe you say there is but do you have any examples of organisations who you would think yes they've made it they're doing really well in this space? Vanessa? No, there isn't an end point. There isn't an end point to inclusion because we are constantly shifting and constantly changing. Look at the change in genders, look at the change in sexuality. As a matter of fact, there is a risk if we think we're going to get to an end point because then that means you stop doing the work. And to approach recruitment inclusively, you have to understand it's ongoing, continuous work, ongoing learning and unlearning. 
um, in order to get better. So no, there's no end point and you need to be prepared to be in it for the long run, but that should mean that you're really committed to it. There are some organisations doing some great things, you know, to, to Tony's point, we are working with an organisation at the moment called Young Minds who are absolutely flying. And again, they are focused on the mental health and well-being of young people in the workplace. And we have supported them um, on, on various recruitment campaigns, you know, by making changes to the application process, you know, whereas you have CVs and supporting statements across many organisations, we've given them some guidance on changing the route into applying so what if someone's better with audio what if someone's better with video what if they're better kinesthetic visually and they need to present by powerpoint how do we ensure that there are multiple ways in which an individual can apply um if they're not brave enough to go through the open hiring process that the body shop have taken right so um it's an ongoing journey and it doesn't stop and i think it would be a risk for an organization who believes that they are going to a point of stop or a point of solution and say well we've achieved that now because then that means you will miss the pivoting adapting and changing that you need to do for the continuous change that we see if we have change in diversity we have change of ethnicities we have change of sexuality change of genders um, new um, types of disability coming up day to day how can we say it will stop it can't so just keep going and keep focused on the ongoing changes that we see in society around us which means that we have to keep going on with our inclusive approaches even when we take a step back and you look at businesses and the way that they operate every year they review their objectives they review the actions they're going to take okay how else are we going to be profitable how else are we like they do that every year and i think the same way businesses view that um continuously um even when they are making profits is the same way businesses should be reviewing inclusive recruitment In this episode, we've discussed the benefits of a diverse workforce to businesses, from being able to represent your customers and service users more effectively, to bringing new ideas and perspectives. We heard that the challenges to inclusive recruitment are largely down to individual biases and difficulties in moving away from traditional hiring practices. But there are ways to overcome those challenges. Whether it's through process, such as open recruitment, like Tony described for some roles at the body shop, or a longer-term drive to change the recruiting culture within an organisation. Our guests agreed that young people often fall victim to non-inclusive recruitment practices, and that's something that needs to be addressed if we're to tackle the issues of youth unemployment and underemployment. But perhaps the biggest takeaway is the notion that organisations, whatever their size, should take inclusive recruitment and diversity in their workforce as seriously as they do business planning and profit margins. After all, it's people, not profits, that make successful companies.